So, Berto, I have a bunch of emails, plus I have a bunch of tougher bluffs and stats about divorce to go over with you. Berto, what do you say we get into it? I would love it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I manufacture spandex skinny jeans. So, divorce rate by country. I'm going to give you a country and you tell me if it's top 10 in the world or bottom 10 in terms of divorce rate. Mm. Top 10 means high rates of divorce, bottom 10, low rates of divorce. You ready? Okay. Okay. Spain, top 10 or bottom 10? Ooh, of divorce. I'm going to go top 10 of divorce. That's right. It is number two at 65%. Which is crazy because it's a Catholic country. It's the hotbed of Catholicism for so long. Yeah. And yet, yeah. Uh, UK, top 10, bottom 10. Um, UK, top 10 or bottom 10. I'm going to go top 10 as well. Yep. It's mo- most divorce. N- you know. Number seven, number seven. Okay. Good old Columbia, Birdo. Bottom 10. It is third from the bottom oh, at yeah. 9%. Yeah, that one. So that one's a very traditional Catholic country. And so divorce is a no-go. Yeah. No, no bueno. Luxembourg, Berto. Luxembourg. Luxembourg. It's like the middle Is Luxembourg of its Europe? own? It's not part of the... Okay, so I'm going to go... Is Actually, isn't Luxembourg where the Disney castle is at? Like not the, not like the one the, that looks like Disney. I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm going to say it is in the bottom 10%. It is number one, top 10 at 87%. Wow. Wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Almost 90, almost nine out of 10 divorces. Yeah. Wow. Now I got this from a few different sites. I'm not quite sure about that one seems like (laughs) really weird, but I mean, I I don't, I don't know why Luxembourg, I, I, do you do you know the with the castle I'm talking about by the way? Yes, yeah. Neuschwanstein, Neuschwanstein or something. Oh, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Um uh, Mexico, Berto, bottom 10. Okay, that's 10. also bottom 10. Yeah, it's number 4. Also deeply Catholic, yeah. Kenya, top 10, bottom 10. Kenya. Kenya is also oh, Kenya is bottom 10. Yep, it's fifth at 15%. Yeah. Uh, United States of America, pop, mm. top 10, bottom 10. Top 10 at like 50%. Uh, 46%, fifth place. Okay. India, top 10, bottom 10. Ooh, very traditional society. I'm going to go bottom 10. It is the far lowest at 1%. 1%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Turkey, stable homes. <laughs> Turkey and Iran are actually tied Ooh. at what number? Bottom ten, Ooh, top ten. There must be a stiff social penalties for a divorce there. So I'm going to go bottom ten percent. Bottom ten, but twenty-two percent divorce rate. Well, that's actually high. Yeah. So yeah, even the countries, aside from so Chile is number. Chile is number two at 3%. Jeez. And Colombia, but then it jumps up to Colombia at 9%. Mexico, 15, Kenya, South Africa, Egypt, Brazil, Turkey, Iran. These are all in like the 20, around the 20. Huh. 
And then there's a lot that are sort of in the 30s to 40s, like Canada, right. Australia, New Zealand, UK, Germany, US, um, Russia, France. France is actually third at 55, but in Spain, we jump up to 65. Then Luxembourg, we jump up to 87. Wow. All right. Uh, Divorce by religion, Berto. We have the six top religions in the United States or in the world. If we break out Christianity versus Catholicism, which is kind of weird, but what are the other four main religions of the world, Berto? Uh, Islam. Yeah. And Judaism. Yeah. And um, Hinduism. And? Um, Buddhism. Yeah. So divorce rate by religion. Okay. okay. And then okay. this doesn't include atheists. This is just people who identify as that religion. So this is around the world. So okay. you know, for Christians, in every Christian country, average out what's the divorce rate percentage-wise. And you said Christians and Catholics are split out? Yeah. But they're basically the same. So we could... In terms, in terms of rate, so we can just- Oh, improve. I see. Interesting. All right. So for Christians, I'm going to guess it's like 30%. Close. 37, 36 for Catholics. Yeah. What about the other religions? For Islam, I'm going to go with 40%. More than Christians and Catholics? Fine. 20%. Yeah, 20%. I don't know. I don't know the particulars of the Islam Islamic religion. I just know that in Catholicism, it, it, you're not so like it used to be like you got to you had to ask the Pope or something. like you couldn't get divorced. Yeah. So yeah. with Catholic, it's kind of weird because you're looking at places like Colombia, which is yeah. Catholic, correct me, and Mexico, which is pretty yeah. low, Chile. But then you're also talking about places like the United States and yeah, right. and Ireland. And, you yeah. know, there's various Catholicism is yeah. a lot of places, right? Uh, so yeah, Islam twenty percent, which is actually higher than I would have thought. You know, I would have mm-hmm. thought that Islam would be really low. Uh, what about Buddhism? Okay, Buddhism. I'm gonna go ten percent, thirty percent, thirty percent. Okay, Jewish people, Judaism. Okay, so that one I'm going lower than. I'm gonna go ten percent for Judaism. Twenty eight percent. Twenty eight percent. Okay, Hindu. <laughs> Oh, well, Hindu, we learned. Okay, so that one's 5%. 1%. 1%, sure. I, I wasn't sure if it was as low as the country, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> so the kind of surprising thing is it, you know, for Muslims, Jewish, and, and Buddhist people, you're looking at 20 to 30%. So you're looking at one yeah. of five, one in, one in three uh, marriages and a divorce. When you're talking Christian Catholic, you're about one in three, regardless of where you live. It doesn't matter what country you live in, you know, and then Hindu, you're dropping way down to 1%, which I didn't know. I didn't know that India and Hindu individuals were uh, that averse to divorce. Now uh, I will say that uh, when I see a stat like that, I think of a lot of people that are in marriages I think of two things. One is, is that there's a lot of people that are probably forced to stay married that don't want to be if they had the choice. Mm, yeah. And two, I think about a society that might support marriage a little bit better uh, or Look, might have more that's, yeah. kind of messages around, hey, you know, be nice to your spouse or work it out, you know, I, 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 or more family orientation or something. You know, I don't know. I do believe like in Colombia, that is part of it in that, first of all, people tend to get married older. 
at least that, you know, from my experience around the, my circle of experience, uh, people lived in the home longer and then left the home to get married later. Uh, a lot of times you didn't have as much money. It's also culturally traditional to live with your parents longer, you know? Um, also the families, like you go to grandma's house, like the, there's more family activities are a very big thing constantly. So there is more of a support system in that sense. Um, right. yeah. yeah. And it's the, and then there's the Catholic thing. Like you're just not supposed to do it. <laughs> um, average length of marriage by country, average length of marriage by country. What do you think? USA average length of marriage. Ooh. All marriages. All marriages. those that last for one's entire life. All right. All average right. Average length. I'm going to go 12 years. Oh, my God. On the money. Ding, no ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, seven-year itch, but that can't be the average. So I'm going to bump it up. 12. <laughs> uh, what about Italy? More or less than 12? Ooh, 12. Uh, Italy. These old couples, but they are also in Italy. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the average is 15. It is 18. So good. Okay. Uh, France, more or less? Oh, it's like 1%. <laughs> uh, or one year. Uh, no, I, obviously I'm stereotyping the... Um, France, is it more or less than Italy? I'm going to go less. So I'm going to go 10 years. 13. Okay. Mexico. So remember, USA right, is 12. Right. What's Mexico? Uh, 20. 12. So this oh, is what's kind of weird is that even though Mexico has a far lower rate of divorce, the yeah. length of their actual marriages yeah. are the same in the United <laughs> but, States as Mexico. And that's part of what I was saying is that people, I think, get married later in, and, and yeah, I could be wrong about this, but in Colombia, this was true. Yeah. Um, like think yeah. of my cousin, my cousin Andres just got married uh, last year and that's totally normal. How old is he? He's in his thirties, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, why do you think that is? Well, part partially, like I said, there is a cultural thing where you live with your parents through university and um, you don't move out. It's just, you know, you don't move out. Like you move out when you're married, when you get married. That's one thing. The other one is, um, I think there is an expectation of you got to be stable to get married. And like, this is just the, the norm. I, obviously, there's tons of wet, out of wedlock and all these things as well. Um, and then there's the Catholic thing. You know, I think that there's an expectation that this is a serious thing. You can't just rush into it. And then it's going to be for life, and blah, blah, blah. When they polled people, I think particularly in the United States, why people got divorced, what do you think the categories were that they came up with? Money. Money. Uh, money arguments. Uh, financial. Uh, you know, it depends on the, it de that was on one survey, but this, this survey was more general than that. So, okay. Okay. So the, I'll, I'll categorize that as argue too much. Argue too much. So <laughs> about <they're> arguing. <laughs> okay. Sure. Argue too much. I could see that. Um, infidelity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this inf um, kind of health health conditions. Uh, nope. Uh, mm, I don't know what else there is. <laughs> uh, so we got the number oh, one long distance, like long distance. 
Like, because they had to be long distance and it didn't work. No, I mean, maybe. So, because, you know, the categories. So, yeah, yeah. the categories, number one is lack of commitment, 73%. So, it's kind of interesting. Right? Oh, wait, this you is know. just what people say then. Right. Why did you get yeah. divorced? Well, why'd you get you know, divorced? Uh, my spouse lacked commitment or something. <laughs> number two is arguing too much at 56%, which I find to be kind of low. You'd think that argue too much would be number one to me. Infidelity, 55% of people say yeah. they got divorced because of infidelity. Yeah. Married too young, 50, 46%. Unrealistic expectations, 45. Lack of equality in the relationship, 44. Hmm. Lack of preparation for marriage, maybe that's, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. 41. And domestic violence or abuse, 25%. Oof, 25? Uh, so remember we have for first marriages... I think in the United States, the divorce rate is something like 35% and the average is 46%. So if you look at second marriages, what's the divorce rate for that? Okay. Second marriages, it's uh, 40%. 60%. 60%. Third marriages. Okay. So I I remember. Okay. So first marriage ironically lasts longer. (laughs) The second one lasts shorter, but by the third one, you're starting to get it. So it's 30%. Nope, 73. <laughs> okay. So it's third time's not a charm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of interesting because you would think that would be the thing. Like if you're going to marry a third time, if you're going to do it a third time. Yeah. But it, if you, if essentially what a different way of looking at it, which apparently is borne out in the data, is if you're prone to divorce, then you're, you're prone, prone to divorce. To divorce. <laughs> By the way, I started watching The Crown. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for recommending it. Okay. I finally gave up. I was like, look, Kirk says so often. I got to watch this thing. Yeah. It's so entertaining. Right. I never thought I would care. Yeah. It's so entertaining. And the brother of the king got the scandal had been that he got married to a third, a three time divorcee. Yeah. Right. An American. An American. And similar to, you know, Harry yeah. and Meghan. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, same. I, just like you, could not care less about some foreign <laughs> country's aristocratic, rich, you know, inbred family. <laughs> and that, that has no bearing on politics or anything. And just had no idea why anyone would pay attention, particularly an American. I mean, to me, I felt like for an American to pay attention to this, it's like a a Jewish person being like super interested in Nazis or something. It it just, it's like, you realize that we, they were the oppressors. We rebelled (laughs) against them. They, they killed us to keep us under their thumb, you know, Uh, you know, it's 250 years ago. So it's, it's um, water under the London bridge. (laughs) But after watching the show, I'm like, oh, one, this is like one of the best made TV shows, best yeah. shows that's ever been you know, made, best acted. Uh, what's his name? Deserves an Emmy like multiple times, but who? I guess he only got nominated. That, the guy who plays- John uh, Lithgow. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, because yeah. I like him, but- he became, it's funny because you're watching the first season, which were, yeah, which I yeah. saw like I don't know four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you get to the most recent season. It's it it really. I, that's why I told you. I was like I was jealous that you had so seen much it. Ahead and, of yeah, me. and you have so much to watch <laughs> ahead of you. It's like young Berto. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Divorce rate by profession. 
in the United States, top five, bottom five. I'll give you a, mm. uh, a profession. You tell me top five, bottom five. All right. Massage therapist, top five, bottom five. Oh my gosh. That's a great question. On the one hand, I'd be like, oh, it's got to be top five because they end up, you know, falling for their clients. That's my stereotype <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Or the, or the fantasy in your But head. actually, massage therapists go through a lot of training. They're very in touch with bodies, literally. And I'm going to go low, bottom, bottom. Nope, top five, 38%. <laughs> I, I think possibly because, not that massage therapists get divorced, was, but massage therapists usually live in cities. And I think I cities. Well, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, podiatrists. So these are people that work on feet. Top five, bottom five. That's a stable, rooted, grounded profession. <laughs> so I'm going to go bottom. Yeah, bottom, 7%. Yep. Optometrists, top five, bottom five. Eye doctors. Can I just, one quick digression. What? Can I tell you how grateful I am that we live with enough humans that have enough unique tastes and interests that I can go to someone that specializes on feet like that's that's impressive, you know, because if you rewind the clock, you had like a foot problem. It's like, I heard that two continents over, there is one cave with one person that might yeah. care. Yeah, it's one of the things playing strategic strategy games like Civilization, where uh, these games actually will try to model how society works. And one of the mechanisms in civilization is as you're, you know, when you, when you have a small population, everyone has to be a farmer yeah. as, as your population gets bigger and bigger and your technology on agriculture gets better. Fewer people can, can work on calories. And, and then you can have these specialists who are, right. who work on the economy or who work on science and, or in the military. And I remember early on, like 25 years ago, when I played the first civilization, I was like, oh, yeah, that's why, we, you know, we have so many people in our society who just focus on these extremely narrow fields, like, right. like foot uh, medicine. And the reason why we can have those people, we want those people, obviously, but the only reason we, why we can is because we have a foundation of calories and stability yeah. and law enforcement and the, you know, the nuts and bolts of a society to keep it running and also the calories yeah. uh, so that we can, we have the luxury of having people do all these other things that are sort of icing on the cake. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right. What was the profession? Optometrist, I doctor. Optometrist. Top 10, yep. top five, bottom five. You're looking into people's eyes. That's how you fall in love. I'm going to go there in the top five divorces. Bottom five, bottom 4%. Five. One of bottom the five. lowest. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, 4%. <laughs> uh, game cage, gaming cage workers. Gaming cage workers. What's a gaming <laughs> oh cage God. work? Gaming Is cage work. Oh, you know what that probably is? Gaming cage work. Is that like a carny? Is that like a... Yeah, maybe. Gaming cage work. I Now I got to Google this. Or is that this. like a game Gaming farm. cage game worker. Farm. Job description. Job description. <laughs> gaming cage work in casinos. Oh, casinos. Oh, gaming cage. I get it. Okay. I thought about that, but I was like, 
there's that's not you call okay. them like pit bosses and, and yeah, dealers yeah, okay, and stuff. Okay. Anyway, so that those Ooh, casinos. That's not a good environment for for marriage. So I'm gonna go. They're in the they're in the bottom. They're in the bottom. Oh, meaning the top. They're top a five. top divorce top five, yeah. rate. Sorry. Yeah, thirty five percent. So I'll give you the top five dancers, yeah. bartenders, massage therapists, gaming cage workers, and gaming service workers. Makes Bottom sense, five, though. you have farmers, podiatrists, clergy, of course, optometrists, and agricultural engineers are the lowest at 2%. Yep. Uh, divorce, rate, out. divorce rate by state, Berto. Top five, bottom five, Nevada. Nevada is bottom five. Top five, top five. Wow. West Virginia, top five. But Nevada's five. got a lot. Oh, because casino. Uh, but that's, that's not the majority of their population. That's weird. Yeah, I okay. don't know. What's the next one? West Virginia, top five, bottom West five. West Virginia, that's uh, bottom five. Top five, West Virginia. Really? Yeah. Well, Probably poverty plays a role. I guess so. I don't know. Arkansas, top five, bottom five. Oh, I'm going to go top five then. Yep, top five. Okay. Oklahoma, top five. Top bottom five. Five. You're right. Top five. Oh my gosh. Idaho, top five, oh. bottom five. Give me a bottom five. There's a lot of farming there. Bottom five. Top five. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Not even one. <laughs> uh, but you uh, just the, told me the professions. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. The bottom five are Iowa, Illinois, Massachusetts, North Dakota, and Pennsylvania. I don't understand. There's no rhyme or reason to to that pattern for me. Yeah, because you have you have <laughs> you have North Dakota bottom five, but then you have Idaho and Oklahoma top yeah. five. But to me, so North Dakota and Idaho and Oklahoma have a lot in common. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, and why weird. North Dakota? Why not South Dakota? Um, why Massachusetts and not like? Pennsylvania. Like, yeah, it's 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 sort of a weird oh no, Pennsylvania is in the bottom five. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. I have a bunch of tougher bluffs about divorce. Tougher bluff, Berto. The divorce rate is falling. Tougher mm. bluff. Divorce rate falling in the United States. I'm gonna go tough. It had been rising, now it's falling. Correct. Had been rising, now it's falling. Younger people are waiting longer to get married. Ah. And they are staying married longer. Tougher Bluff Birdo, January is considered divorce month. <laughs> yeah, tough, man. You barely made it through the holiday season. You make a New Year's resolution. You're like, I'm going to do it. I'm leaving. Well, uh, it is tough, but the speculation <laughs> or the experience is a little different than what you said, which is that people seem to decide to get married, uh, divorced in December and they pull the cord uh, in January. Yeah. So it seems that the holidays accentuate one's uh, it's a stressful time. problems, I guess. Yeah. Tougher Bluff Birdo, living together prior to marriage increases the chance of getting divorced. Oh, wow. Cohabitation oh, yeah, prior to marriage increases the chance of getting divorced. Tough. No, that's got to be a bluff, man. You got to check out the goods before you buy. <laughs> right. That's the common narrative, yeah. but it is tough. You yeah. are almost uh, 50% more likely to get divorced if you cohabitate. So this wow. is a problem of causation versus correlation. Sure, sure. We don't really know. We just know that they're associated. It seems reasonable yeah. to me to believe that it's not necessarily cohabitation that causes the 
divorce to happen because that's what the yeah. religious right would want to say is like living right. together is in sin and then it, bad things happen. But another possibility is that people who live together prior to marriage are just the sort of people who are just more likely to get divorced anyway. You know, like they yeah. are more metropolitan, uh, you know, they feel like they have more options. It's not as stigmatized, yeah. you know, that's probably what it is. It's like, if you have less stigma about living together without being married, you also have less stigma about getting divorced, yeah, which could be tougher bluff, Berto, Arkansas has the highest rate of individuals being married three or more times. Arkansas has <laughs> Arkansas, the highest rate. Yeah. Individuals. I'm going to go tough based on it, the earlier questions. It is tough. I have no idea yeah. why Arkansas would have the most, uh, you know, Elizabeth Taylor's, if you will. Yeah. And didn't uh, Larry King get married a bunch of times too? <laughs> Probably. Tougher bluff, Berto. Earning more money raises the risk of divorce. Earning more money raises the risk of divorce. Tougher bluff. Yeah, that's a really good one because on the one hand, you would think, oh, you know, I've got money. I can go out and party and cheat. <laughs> But the flip side is like, I've got no money. It's stressful. We're arguing all the time. I'm going to go out and drink and cheat. Um, I'm going to go bluff. Getting more money does not increase the odds of divorce. Correct. Bluff. It actually lowers the risk probably for the reason you said. Yeah. Tougher bluff. Drinking raises the risk of divorce by almost double. I'm going to go tough on that one. Drinking is troublesome. Yeah, tough. Smoking cigarettes raises the risk of divorce by almost double. What? I mean, I guess if like only one of them is doing it, I'm going to go bluff on that. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Again, correlation causation. Sure. Sure. Like smoking cigarettes would would be the problem, but there's probably other things associated with smoking cigarettes Oh, like, sex, of course, because <laughs> you have to smoke after sex with strangers. So, <laughs> Tougher Bluff, Berto, 45% of divorces cited video game addiction as a major factor for divorce. <laughs> Wait, what percentage? 45% of divorces. No, video game. I could see it like, you know, 8% or something. No, Bluff. Yeah, you're right. 15%. But, you know, okay. still a lot. 15%. That is, that, that's a huge number of divorces. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's a major factor, not just that's like... That's crazy. Yeah. Now, what I would say to this is that it's, one, not a reflection of necessarily video game addiction. I mean, video game addiction is a thing, but I've heard many clients come to me claiming that their spouse has an addiction to video games. And when I investigate it, I'm like, no, mm-hmm. your spouse just likes to play video games and <laughs> you feel distant from them, you know? And you blame the video games, but really what's happening is the two of you long ago had a lot of hurt between the two of you and a lot of dist- distance. And mm-hmm. your spouse doesn't know what else to do and is playing video games. Before there were video games, they would have just been watching TV or they would have been working on yeah. their car. They, it, it, it's not the video, the video games are the problem. It's now having said that plenty of people do develop video game problems, but you know, it's the same with like sex addiction. Some, Oh, my spouse is a sex addicts. It's like, well, maybe because there are compulsive sex uh, addicts, but plenty of people just 
cheat uh, chronically because of their attachment issues or they they don't like the marriage they're in. And so uh, just label, you know, just this label of like, they're a video game addict or a sex addict. Yeah, some people are like, you know, I I don't want to have sex 10 times before breakfast. Oh, you must be an addict. I mean, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) Tougher bluff, Berto. 65% of divorced mothers received no child support. 65% of divorced mothers in the United States receive no child support. Oh my God. I hope that's not right. I'm going to go bluff because I don't want it to be true. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. What? Uh, Well, one, because sometimes there's mutual parenting, but also, uh, you know, to get child support, it's kind of a thing. It's kind of a process. Hmm. And uh, so anyway, the the stereotype that that divorced mothers are always, you know, collecting a check is actually rolling in the dough. (laughs) (laughs) Tougher bluff, Berto, is a if a close friend gets divorced. So you have a close friend that gets divorced. You are five times more likely to become divorced yourself. Five times is a ridiculous multiplier. Okay. So on the one hand, I could see the logic of the increase of some increase because you're like, oh, so you can get divorced and they survived. Oh, that's interesting. I could see that. But five times. I mean, no, 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 no. I'm going to go bluff. Yep. True. Two times. Okay. Still significant. I mean, double that's, that's the chance. still crazy. Double the chance. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Tougher bluff, Berto. The average cost of, of a divorce in the United States is $4,000. Average cost Jeez. of a divorce in the United States is $4,000. Tougher bluff. That's a lot of dull, but it almost feels worse because like I watch movies and they're like, oh my gosh, this divorce is going to kill me. But four grand seems like a lot of money. So I'm going to go tough. It's bluff. It's $15,000. Oh my God. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but that's average by the way. So, you know, yeah, you have people so that get divorced a lot for higher like, than that. Yeah. You have people that get divorced for like a thousand. You have a lot of people get divorced Jeez. for a lot more. Yeah. It, it's a thing, you know, as a, as a therapist who's worked with a lot of people, couples and individuals going through divorce that's and, great. you know, it, it, everyone understands this, that when you're breaking up with someone, there's a lot of hurt feelings and you get angry. Yeah, And you also consider your spouse to just be like possibly the worst person on the planet <laughs> in, in, at that moment. And you'll be damned if they get your money or the, or the kids. Yeah. yeah. And, and lawyers are supposed to fight for you and supposed right. to validate whatever you want. <laughs> and, divorce lawyers are some of the highest earning um, professions in the country. Yeah, and they're doing their job, but yep. the problem is is that it creates this runaway cascade system where each of the parties are amping up their fighting which hurts the other person and the other you know we saw this process in the marriage story the mo- in a movie with um with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver uh right Scarlett Johansson right yeah and yeah the the way in which you have to, it's like an arms race to some extent and every time you amp up your legal fighting it's more money and hmm. and to go to court is very expensive and so uh it and what a lot of anecdotal experience and i believe research shows is that even though you spend more money you actually the result is still the same so like if you if you pay $2000 for a divorce 
versus $100,000 for a divorce, you get the same result. <laughs> it just, but worse, because if it's $100,000, one, you're losing on money, and two, you, there's been a lot of mudslinging towards each other, right? And so we have this thing called collaborative divorce, which I recommend people look into, which is uh, contractually arranged such that the lawyers have to work it out. And if they can't work it out, they, they actually are contractually fired. So these people, they sign up as collaborative divorce, divorce lawyers, and they're like, if I cannot work this out with the other party, contractually, I must get fired from the case. Whoa. And so the lawyers incentivized and trained, by the way, to work collaboratively. And part of that means when you're working with your client, you don't, you don't fan the flames, you say, well, I hear you, and if if you go down that road emotionally, you're going to pay me a lot more money than normal, and we're going to trigger the other side. And so, you know, I want to advocate for you for sure, but we gotta we gotta balance this out from what's likely to occur, which is not the typical way that lawyers will work with people. Hmm. I mean, or at least some lawyers won't outside of collaborative divorce work. Tougher Bluff, Berto, 20% of the parents with children transition to poverty after divorce. 20% of parents with children tra- transition below the poverty level yep, after yep. getting divorced. Yeah, I'm going to go tough on that one. It is Bluff, it's 50%. 50% Kirk? What? Think about everyone you know Holy that has been divorced crap. and think about their life post-divorce. Oh my God. God. You know, think about their the home the they live in or their financial yeah. life after yeah. divorce. It is it is one of the most devastating financial moves that anyone can make, and particularly yeah. if you don't have a very solid career for yourself, then you're really screwed. You know, if you for, you know what do you went for went if you forego yeah. your career building process for the family, then you're really in a bad spa- space after fifty percent. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, what this also points to is a lot of Americans are on the brink of poverty. Yeah, that's true. You know, so uh, it's two problems. Divorce is a problem. And two, we just, we have a vast underclass or mainstream class is what we might call it, who are living paycheck to paycheck, you know. Tougher Bluff, Berto, 38% of couples who get marriage counseling divorce Oh, sorry. 38% of couples who get marriage counseling divorce within two years of getting marriage counseling. 38% <laughs> of couples who get, who go to couples therapy will divorce within two years of getting couples therapy. Tougher bluff, bro. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. I don't know the percentage of course, but I'm going to go tough in the sense that if, so I actually would expect it's higher. So maybe I'll go bluff. Like it's a higher percentage because it was only 38%. Look, if you go to couples therapy, it means you're, you're struggling. If it was actually only 38%, it means that's a ridiculously successful rate of, of stopping the, the, that path. So I, I'm going to go like, I don't know, 50-50 or something. 50%. It's tough, 38%. Okay. And this is an issue of you know causation versus correlation. It, it, what it looks like is like, wait, Almost forty percent of the couples who go to marriage counseling divorce, but that's because that they were already on that path, right? So it's even better. It's sixty percent, more than sixty percent, did it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, take it from me as a couples counselor. 
a lot of couples will come into my office after years and years of festering and contempt and hatred and love lost. And uh, maybe one or both of the members are essentially saying, well, at least we can say we went to one session of couples counseling before, <laughs> before I pull the core, you know, before I right. actually, or we have been talking about seriously getting divorced for seven months, but maybe if we try couples counseling, it'll help. And sometimes it does, but other times I'm like, uh, you know, it's like bringing me your, your dead horse and saying, <laughs> I think something's wrong with my horse. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's dead. You know, like, uh, you, you know, you should have brought it to me when the horse was still alive, but sick, you know? Like, oh, by the way, I shouldn't laugh. I can't laugh in your podcast anymore, man. Why? What do you mean? Can't do this. Because uh, when we did the vor fetish uh, episode, I laughed and one of the comments in one of the YouTube comments was, don't read uh, the comments. I know, I know, I know. But what it was like, uh, I can't, and it's like, I'm disturbed that Umberto finds this funny. <laughs> like, well, that, that person doesn't know you is, is the thing. <laughs> uh, you know, if someone doesn't know you, they're, they're going to be like, who, you know, that guy laughs too much. <laughs> All right. So those are my divorce stats. Uh, let's go to break, but let me kind of wrap this up by saying divorce is a multifaceted thing. And for some people, it can be traumatic. For some people, it can be liber- liberating. For other people, it's just a transition. But breaking up with someone is always a thing. And as a society, we have to recognize that it's a real thing and that there are real effects from it. And it's always a possibility whenever someone gets married. In fact, it's a real good possibility, some, you know, close to 50%. Maybe, I think, I can't remember, like 35% of first marriages, something around there, get, get divorced. So, you know, it, it's a thing and we need to destigmatize it. We need to bring it out into the open. We need to recognize that people should go to therapy earlier than later. We need to support people as they, as they go through it and not stigmatize them after the fact. Um, so, you know, it's a thing. And I think everyone should get divorced at least a couple times in their life. <laughs> wait, is that a, are you just trying to provoke the YouTube people at this point? All right, let's take a break. When we get back, let's read patron emails. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. Hey, Deserving listeners, as you know, I'm constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. One of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp.com. So if you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to BetterHelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the slash Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it helps us out. I get a lot of emails from you saying that you're looking for a therapist. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, but I know it can be really hard to find a good one to work with. Like I said, one of the options available to try is betterhelp.com Kirk. And you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide, which is amazing. I've been told that you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message with your counselor anytime. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And I've been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy. So go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk to get 10% off your first month of therapy today. So, 
So, Berto, if a divorce lawyer was to convince a jury that his client deserves all the money so that his client can become a patron of the podcast, what would that sound like? <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone from the jury, you must understand something. This side over here is going to paint this as a situation, a story, if you will, of this evil creature who sure went on a trip to Las Vegas and, you know, married three other people while they were already married. And yes, that's true. But they're also you're going to hear all these crazy stories about how they stole all their money and they stole their jewels and sold them for drugs, which they did. But here's the point. All of that. It's just white noise. That's a distraction. My client has true love in his heart because he loves a podcast. And can, can we point fingers at people for loving podcasts? He loves the Psychology in Seattle podcast. And what this divorce is going to do, is he's not going to be able to patronize that podcast that he loves all because of a few indiscretions here or there. I urge you, Please take all the money. Yes, they're going to be left with 10 kids and that's tough. But what's more important? That the kids will live. It's fine. They'll get governments from the check or something like that. But this person needs to pay that monthly money to psychology in Seattle because that's what's important. So please do the right thing. <laughs> do you realize you said... He'll get yes. governments from the <laughs> I just went with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, patron Megan from Australia says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how people, uh, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how people behave online. I've noticed recently that people behave very negatively towards each other on Facebook. They're quick to attack and call each other names if they don't agree with someone. I've actually been attacked a few times for giving a different point of view on the Facebook fan page, on the Psychology in Seattle Facebook mm. fan page. In contrast, the comment section on TikTok is amazing. People support each other. Really? And on Discord, it's the same thing. Interesting conversations and people being friendly towards each other. What do you think it is about Facebook that causes everyone to attack each other? I had wondered if it was because a lot of older people are on Facebook from the boomer generation. But that doesn't explain the difference between Psychology in Seattle Facebook fan page and the Discord groups at Psychology in Seattle. I'd love to hear what you think. Berto, what do you think? Man, that's fascinating. I'm curious too. What's funny about it is in Facebook, you're using your actual real persona. Your, I know. Your name and everything. And Discord and TikTok, TikTok, you're not. Right. Right. Yeah. I would have expected TikTok at least to be like YouTube, like another cesspool. So I'm surprised to hear that coming. But Discord, I have only good experiences in Discord. And so I guess I'm not surprised, although I, I don't have a great explanation there. I think with Facebook, something odd has happened over the years is that a lot of us, and I include myself in there, have treated Facebook like a massively multiplayer game. And you're trying to like score points somehow. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll do things like I'll see someone make a post and my thing is not so much to you know be mean, but I always have to try to get one up. If it's like a funny post, I need to try to one up them with a one liner because I don't want to feel left out. I'm like, oh, you can't be seen as having a funny post. 
I'm going to reply with a one-liner and see if people actually like my one-liner. And so it's like a little mini game we play to, uh, and we all do it in different ways. It's like, oh, I'll post this photo. I'll post this thing. And so there's that. And then how does it lead to improper or rude behavior is I feel like we all end up being aware in the back of our heads that we're all just putting on a little show here. And then we got to defend defend our, our semblance of reality here. And so like if someone makes a, a point, like it's a political point or whatever, this is our last stand. It's because we can't like, especially during the pandemic, I bet you this got even worse because we had no other outlets. So we're like, hey, look, this is my, my meta game that I play daily. And this person is invading it with their opinions and their opinions don't match my opinions. And I can't go anywhere and tell anyone that cares about my opinions. I'm going to unleash hell. Uh, whereas on YouTube, or I guess on, in this case, we're talking about TikTok. Uh, I don't know these people. That's, I don't know. Like, I, don't have the, I don't have as much writing on it for some reason. Uh, and in Discord, the difference is like, I joined a specific community rather than like, you know, like Facebook, it's this random assortment of individuals that over the years I collected. Whereas Discord is like, oh yeah, I'll join this community because I'm interested in that community. Uh, that's all. I, that's all I got. But that's what I. That's what my experience is. Yeah, it does seem contradictory. And the thing you're saying is that Facebook, you're often it's your name, it's who you are, yeah. with your face and a lot of identifying information potentially on your homepage of like where you live, <laughs> and on Discord and TikTok and uh, often on YouTube. Uh, I mean, YouTube, I, it can often be pretty bad too, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, on Discord. But then I also think about how on other platforms, you can actually click on someone's username and see everything that they've done on the platform. Like Reddit is this way. Mm-hmm. If you click on someone's name on their profile, you can see literally every post that they've, that they've made, every comment that they've mm. made on, on Reddit, on any subreddit, right? Mm. As long as it's not, hidden are there hidden subreddits anyway whereas on facebook if you make a comment you can't click on that person if you're not friends with them if there's privacy says you can't click on them and find out everything they've said so uh, you can sort of dip in and out of conversations without people knowing your ideology or the kinds of things you normally say or who you're connected to necessarily Um, also you know i think you brought up a point of like because it's not anonymous people ironically might be more likely to comment because they're like, Hey, I need to stand up for myself. You know, my identity is more invested in this persona. Whereas on discord, I have this very weird username with a, an emoji for a profile picture. I don't really have my ego involved. Yeah. If someone insults (laughs) me on discord, I'm like, well, they don't know me, but on Facebook, yeah. someone insults me. It's like someone insulting you on the street. You, you feel personally affronted maybe. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah. You're right. When I've been on, on YouTube and someone says something like that's a dumb comment or whatever they'll say, I don't feel compelled to keep going. I might make a little trolly jab back, but only because I'm a troll, but I don't feel, I don't feel compelled to like engage in it really. On Facebook, you know that about me. I mean, I've I've tried to reduce that, and I've cut people off finally. But, but yeah, especially with politics and other things, I'm like, oh, I gotta go. I gotta. This is my last stand. They will know what I stand for. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and by the way, uh, if you didn't know, we have a Facebook fan page that's run by fans. We have a Discord that's run by fans too. We have a we have a Twitter, but I barely ever use it. And we have Instagram, and Instagram is a pretty good place. And our and we also have a Facebook official page, which I run, me and my wife run. So you can join those things. And I know a lot of you are on those places, particularly the Facebook fan page. It's a pretty lively group over there. And please, for the love of God, be nice to each other and report to the moderators because there are moderators there. If you think that something is going on or the very, maybe, you know, connect with the moderators and be like, Hey, are you a moderator? Yeah. And then you can have a direct line of communication. If you're just like, ah, I feel like this person's being a little mean because you know, debate is fine, but personal attacks and making people feel, you know, anytime you're on the Facebook fan page or really any of our places and you, something happens and you feel like you don't want to participate anymore, then something went wrong. It's not supposed to be that way. Um, other Facebook page, other discords, other venues, maybe they really like that, but that's not the sort of, I don't want anything associated with this podcast that has that kind of tone particularly when we're talking about mental health and that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, make sure you, you know, Discord has moderators. Uh, Instagram, has, you know, my wife monitors it and, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, just make sure you contact that. But, um, and the other thing I thought was about Discord is that, like you said, you enter this community willingly. It's not just like, there's not like a disc, there's not like general Discord, Right. Like each Discord is its own server. Yeah. And it's like you're stepping into someone else's room, really. Yeah. And it, it just feels, you know, the, the, as I was thinking about answering this person's questions, I was like, you know what? Even though it's all just internet commenting, each of these venues feels different to me when I go there. Yeah. And Definitely. it's sort of like with Twitter or with Facebook, it feels like it's a chaotic market in the middle of town where no one knows each other and everyone is like annoyed with each other. You know, every, there's a lot of stepping <laughs> on toes, right? Yeah. And, and everyone's uh. just shouting things out, trying to be heard. And a lot of times no one ever hears them. And, and in order to be heard, you got to be the most loudest or the most annoying or something. Whereas Discord doesn't feel that way at all to me. Discord, especially our channel, which or our server, which I, that's my only, I have no experience with Discord outside our own server. It feels intimate. It feels nice. It feels safe. Uh, YouTube is interesting because the way that now you can essentially upvote comments that you like, right? That the top comments, the top 20, 30 comments on our YouTube videos tends to be uh, civil, Either just yeah. like, here's my opinion, or let me make a joke, or let me, you know, say something nice, or let me add my opinion. The the further down qu- the comments you go, the more you're going to get at risk of seeing more, I would call it toxicity. So on YouTube, although there are plenty of real uh, fights going on with people and controversy the things that float to the top, similar to Reddit, you know, any good subreddit, for example, that is pop. Well, so then you go to Reddit, which is a whole other thing because each subreddit has its own echo chamber. 
that's that's what's kind of weird about sub about reddit it, do you use reddit that much you not really yeah each subreddit is like a different completely different world like if you hmm. like it's really weird like you'll go into some subreddits and it's about a topic that you're interested in and and you realize oh these aren't even though the subreddit like i i dipped into the beatles subreddit because of course you and i are super into the beatles <laughs> and i posted uh this list of i ranked every single beatles song Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I said, you know, this is my opinion. I'm a huge Beatles fan. I always have been. And everyone was like, that's great, man. Good list. No, everyone hated <laughs> me because I didn't put George's songs at the top. Right, right, right. Like, like they all, I was downvoted, downvoted, downvoted. Oh, no. And all the comments were like, where's George? Uh, boy, you know, you really like Paul McCartney. And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, is no are we not is this not the beatles subreddit or is this the george harrison love club you know what i mean and the and the paul mccartney hate club or something and i and i just thought like oh this is called the beatles subreddit but this isn't these aren't my people right these aren't you know? my people. <laughs> this is these aren't these aren't people for necessarily the beatles you know this there's a there's a there's some kind of history going on here in this subreddit that i don't really know about <laughs> And so, so Reddit is like, so you'll find some subreddits, some subreddits are just like, like 4chan level toxicity. I, I wonder if it's like, so on, on the discord the other day, uh, first of all, I love this. So, you know, I'm a troll, right? So they, we have the troll channel in the discord and uh, <laughs> someone posted a thing, uh, like an idea for us to do. They said we should do... Um, we should, yeah. What if for April Fools, and of course now we can't do it, but we can. What if for April Fools, the podcast was just Bear doing Dr. Kirk talking about doing DMT and what would happen if a bear and a lion had a cage match? What's DMT? Is that a drug? Uh, it's a drug. Yeah, it's what oh. Joe Rogan talks about it a lot. <laughs> and then I said, we actually had a DMT episode before where I literally did some and talked, funny enough, about a real life encounter I had with a mountain lion. <laughs> but I don't know if people believe me or not. But this is the kind of fun stuff you can do. And it's you know, yeah. it's all in good fun. Right. <laughs> and it's because uh, we created a channel for a troll, you know? And, yeah, so, exactly. and so each channel, there's its own little subculture in on the Discord as well. Right? And um, anyway, to finalize my point about subreddits is there will be other subreddits where everyone is super nice and respectful, you know, that kind of... But what do you think about this person emailing this patron saying Facebook is toxic and people are attacking each other because of the boomers. What do you think about that? Oh, that's, um, that's not something I like. I, <laughs> first of all, it is a kind of othering, you know, like those boomers. Um, it is also people that I love are in that category. Yeah. <laughs> my, my parents like are in the category. My mom, I guarantee you, and my dad have never, never. attacked it. Never. My mom is a fountain of support on Facebook. And so now is that to say that boomers can't be, but it's but like, I, I, but I've had both. I've had horrible arguments with people younger than me, my same age, older yeah. than me. Yeah. I would say that toxicity and attacking on the internet knows no age range. <laughs> And yeah. and just sort of saying like, oh, it's old people is like, huh? 
<laughs> That's, uh, that, yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. And it goes both ways because certainly there will be older people that will say, ah, oh, it's the millennials or whatever the next generation is. It's all them like attacking each other right. with their rainbow parties and their, you know, punch in the back of the head parties or whatever the right, next right. sort of news falsehood. All right. Next email. Catherine from Luxembourg. <laughs> so, ah, we're just yeah. talking about Luxembourg. Yeah. My relatives are posting conspiracy theories surrounding COVID-19. I was wondering if you have some general advice as to how we can approach them without creating a rift in the family, putting too much pressure on them, but still try to help them understand fact from fiction. Berto, I thought you might be the perfect person to answer this question. Okay. So I have this problem as well. Uh, I have relatives, yeah, um, direct relatives who believe that uh, any number of things, including that it is not real, that masks are definitely not necessary, that it was a conspiracy, all sorts of things, right? Uh, very close relatives, people I love, people I've, I've grown up with. So it's not like some distant relative. These are real, real people, real people I love. Um, I have taken a tact, which is I use stories about my experience and my own life for re- like real experiences. And I just tell them. And I don't have like a therefore, I just tell them. And my, my, my secret goal is like, A, they should know what's, what I've been up to, what's happened. And B, um, maybe, I mean, they know me, they, they know I wouldn't make stuff up. Maybe these things make little mental dents, little, little anti-facts, right? And so it's examples like I would literally post on our WhatsApp thread and I would say, you know, my neighbor caught COVID and was in the hospital for, this isn't, this is real, you know, like, um, or uh, my coworker, you know, got, uh, got this as well. And like, I would do this um, and I would tell these stories. I don't know, if it, if it works, right. I, I don't, I don't know, but that's, that's the thing that I've tried to do is I've tried to, instead of, cause you know, I've actually tried the opposite before. Like uh, one of my close relatives doesn't believe in climate change. And I tried like, <laughs> I first, I, I, I tried sort of ridiculing the notion that didn't go over well. Uh, that was a dumb idea. Uh, then I tried actually just like sending facts, like, watch this, do this. Then I realized, wait, I'm doing the same thing they're doing because they sent me a video. It's like, watch this. I'm like, okay, that doesn't, clearly doesn't work. Um, so my new tact has been, I'm just going to tell stories about my life, my experience, how I'm affected by things. And then my hope is that, that that chips away at the other bad inputs that they might be receiving. Yeah, yeah. Good, good advice. Anonymous patron says, why am I afraid of being on camera? I have a phobia of cameras. I hate having my picture taken, being recorded, and I hate social media. Looking Mm. at myself in a picture makes me sick. Your deep dives on narcissism struck a chord with me. I think that my problem is a combination of excessive vanity and low self-worth. What do you think, Berto? Oh, man, this is tough. Look, growing up, when I was little, I think when you're young, you don't really know what you look like. So I just assumed, you know, when I was little, implicitly, I'm like, oh, I must be a good looking little boy, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I remember then at one yeah, point. You don't know how you compare because. I don't know how I compare. Because yeah. no, you haven't gathered enough data, you yeah. know, you don't know if you're ugly or, or right. good looking or something. Yeah. Now, I remember at one point, like uh, this little girl took an interest in me. And so I thought, oh, yeah, I must be, I must be good looking. Okay, good. A little later in my development, I remember someone saying to me, you used to be cute. What happened to you? This was like, I was like 
13 or something. That was like awkward phase. What? (laughs) You know, um, I had other things not even related to looks like one, 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 uh, uh, friend of mine, one girlfriend of mine was like, um, you know, what you're lacking is a personality. You you should have a personality like such and such. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I don't have a personality. Okay. Um, and then <laughs> what a, what a, I mean, it's one thing to be like, you don't have personality. You need to have a personality like this other person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. I mean, at the time I didn't find it funny, but I was like, okay, I was trying to like piece it together. Like, what does that mean? Like- <laughs> then I kept going. And then um, when I was a teenager, like a 14 year old, um, my, I felt really awkward. And of course that's an awkward age. My arms were long and my torso was short and my legs were long. still are kind of long, aren't they? Yeah. And my torso is still short. My legs are still, (laughs) I never grew out of this, but also my teeth, like my teeth were okay, but like my bottom teeth would like jet out a little bit. Is that why you're, and and people might think I'm joking, but is this why you're mildly obsessed with gorillas? Gorillas? You know, missionary and gorillas and the whole thing. I don't know about that. I love, I do love. Because they have long arms and short torsos. Oh, I see. Well, I think my obsession with gorillas is because when I was a kid, King Kong was one of my favorite things. But anyways, I digress. The point is I got really self-conscious because, especially because of my mouth. Like I was like, oh my gosh. And then there was this one kid in my class, like in ninth grade, who would always make fun, fun of me because of that. And then, I mean. I didn't care for because it. Of because of your mouth? What was wrong with yeah, your mouth? Yeah, yeah, because of my teeth. What's you know? wrong with your teeth? There's nothing now because A, it grew better and then I had braces anyways. But at the time, my bottom teeth would kind of jet out a little bit. Oh. And so, um, and so there, you know, I got a little self-conscious. And then I didn't know how to ask girls out, right? So then I wasn't sure anyways because I'd be like, okay, this girl kind of likes me. And then I'd hear from my cousin, oh, she really likes you. But like, I only saw her for 10 seconds. I remember having, I had a phone call only relationship with someone for months that we only saw each other for seriously, like 10 minutes or something. But then there was another girl I was super into and I would go ask her out and she would have no interest. And so I'm like, what's happening? I don't understand life. Okay. So you go through all these phases and it's confusing. So in your head, you're, you know, you're like, am I good looking? Am I ugly? Am I, what's happening? And some people like me and some people don't like me. And then you grow up and you grow up. But I didn't have internet. I didn't have social media. So it was, that was bad enough just with that, just like little interactions here and there. Right. So imagine a, a history from that point forward where oh my God. you don't have any a- affirmation that anyone thinks you're cute and maybe even other messages or, or just a lack of messaging. And you're sort of stuck in that 13 year old yeah. mindset. And then social media comes along and right. you're just, and you're just like, uh, I don't want any pictures being Anyways. taken of me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a hundred percent sure that there's something deeply wrong with my face. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? That'd be pretty and rough. Absolutely. And now, and like the thing is because I am, you know, half narcissist um, I actually, you know, had, I don't know enough. I, I guess maybe it wasn't the narcissist that um, my dad elevated me so much uh, that I had enough little reserve in my tank to be, you know, to feel okay with myself. But again, I didn't have to deal with social media and social networks. As I grew older, 
uh, I like taking pictures, but I, I, I became aware that certain angles look better for me. And so I usually prefer to be the selfie taker so I can be well represented. I am self, uh, self-aware in that sense. And dude, I got to tell you, like this last few months, it got really hard because my, um, my eyes started getting affected by this thing. I have a thyroid condition and it affects my eyes. My eyes have started to look like puffier and droopier. And then I remember trying to take a picture. I'm like, I don't look right anymore. I don't want to post a picture of myself. And I can totally relate to this of like feeling self-conscious. I'm going to get judged. People don't want to see me. I'm a hideous yeah. monster. You know, it's like, ah, what are we don't, done to ourselves? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what have we done? What have been done to us? To us. And what have we done to ourselves? So anonymous patron on one level, what Berto's pointing out is it's pretty normal. A lot of people don't talk about it. And when we're ridiculed and made to feel worthless and ugly, then it's real hard to deal with that. It's trauma. The other thing you bring up is that you can relate to the narcissism. And there is a version of narcissism that actually will result in conscious self-loathing. Essentially, in a nutshell, when you're young, you go through relational traumas that isolate you and make you think that you can't depend on other people. And so you have to depend on the self. And part of this is dependent on your ability to believe that you're very special and that you're superior because in order to cope with the fact that you're alone, you have to depend on someone and you have to think someone is looking out for you. And so you really have to elevate the self because that that's the only thing you can really depend on. Uh, and underneath every narcissistic personality individual is a deep sense of self-loathing. And so if you have a version of this, you can actually be conscious of your self-loathing while also wanting to be superior. And so there's this, there's this damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario for a person like this, who they're desperate to be the best looking, or at least very attractive in a picture. That's, that's their, that's their standard for themselves. And they identify with a deep, deep self-loathing that everyone recognizes how terrible they are. And they're extremely self-centered because they haven't developed beyond that early phase of life where they think everyone is looking at them and the world revolves around them. Right. And so it's, it's the worst of all worlds. At least if you're a different kind of narcissist, you believe every picture that you're in, you look awesome. <laughs> no, you're not, you know? And, and so it saves you, the defense saves you. But if you don't have that, type of defense, you can have a version of narcissism where you're in a constant state of trying to, uh, you're, you're very focused on the self and you're convinced everyone is looking at you and you're in a constant state of trying to manage that with other people. You know, like one of the solutions out of this scenario, which would be very hard if you suffer from these kinds of relational traumas and defenses is for someone to just tell you, and I'm guessing anonymous patron people have told you this if you've ever, you know, if you've ever told this to a friend, they're just like, don't worry about it. Who cares what people think? So, and that's one way out, but that might be really hard because the narcissistic individual is dependent on other people thinking that they're awesome. So they cannot get out of that loop of, you don't understand, I need other people to think of me in a very positive light. And I'm convinced that everyone thinks of me as a negative thing in the world. And well, so and, I never get out of that loop. 
And look, it's very easy. It's like very nice and easy to say that. Like that just don't care. But first of all, when you're a kid, so I, okay, I lived in a household that actually was not like that. You know, my, the, the grandma, her sister that I lived with, I could have, I could do no wrong. It's like maybe it was too much of a problem like that, but I could do no wrong. They would have never criticized me about what I was wearing or whatever. Now, the flip side of this, and, and same with my dad, the flip side is I also didn't get like good guidance on maybe how to, you know, maybe how to style it up a little bit, how comb my hair a little bit better. My dad is someone who just didn't care. He, di- he just didn't think appearances should matter. So I, I never got any like tips and advice from him. But then I would go to the other household, the, my mom's side of the family, and it was the complete opposite. And I would get like, I would arrive and it's like, oh my gosh, your hair is a mess. We're going to go get your haircut right now. You know, we're like, what are you wearing? Why is this all baggy? Why is it? So I would always be like paranoid. I remember going to parties there and always feeling like so inadequate. Like, and like what you're saying, like, they must be all looking at there. Everyone is looking at me. Oh my gosh, I should, I, I might want to like stand like this. So maybe I look not as bad. It was so weird. Right. And then, like, then you go to school and you're, you know, let's say, let's say I had told my dad, which I, I didn't, but let's say I told my dad, dad, some kid at school is making fun of me about my teeth. And then he's like, who cares, son? You shouldn't care what anyone says. Okay, dad. Then I go the next day and I'm sitting there doing doodling and, and then the kid's making fun of me. I'm like, I don't care what you say. Oh, look, he doesn't care. But you know what? It's like you're a kid. You do care. Because then the other one next to it, it finds it funny that they're finding it funny. And then they've, so, you know, like it's easier said than done. These things wear on you. Yeah, it totally. It, it, these solutions that parents and teachers often come up with is just ignore the bully. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, upper tier patron Rose, she says, uh, and I, I thought you might have a lot to say in this, Berto, because I don't really, because I don't know this world. Can you talk about the depression that professional fighters suffer after retiring from fighting? I'm a retired professional fighter, MMA, boxing, and bare knuckle fighting. I recently told another retired fighter that it's depressing being a normal person after feeling like a superhero for so long. He said he felt the same way, but he was too ashamed to express it. How do I cope with this? Being normal sucks. No adrenaline rush sucks. So what do we say to upper tier patron Rose Berto? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can not relate. Well, basically, obviously, I've never been a professional fighter. Um, I will say a couple of things. My uh, one of my best friends uh, lives in Colombia. He was in the special forces in Colombia. He's a guy that loves adrenaline. He rides motorcycles, goes paragliding. Um, and he was special forces, like total badass. Like, uh, And I do think that after he left that, he had a void. And then he became a bouncer. He used to get into a lot of fights. I think there was a void. You know, there was something that he must have felt that it was like, sort of like, I, I like that superhuman feeling. Like I've been trained now and I'm, I'm a badass and I can punch and kick and use weapons. And I am literally, I am Rambo. And then he leaves. It's like, oh, now I'm just in the normal world. Shoot, what can I do? What can I do? I got to try to regain that. So I remember that. We ta- I talked with him a lot about that. Um, that's one thing. And, and then I do follow the world of UFC, uh, Ultimate Fighter Champion, Fighting Championship, which is uh, mixed martial arts. Uh, follow us and I just 
watch a ton of that content. I know the fighters, I know their, their, their drama and all these things. Dude, I see it all the time. I'm retiring. This is it. This is my last fight. I'm retiring. And then six months later, I'm unretiring. I'm unretiring. That happens a lot because it is hard. They, everyone looks up to them. It's like, oh my gosh. And it's really hard. I've seen it when they, they were undefeated and they want to go out on top. It's like, oh, I could have had that one more fight. Just one more fight. And then you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you don't have that one more fight, man, your record, it could just have that one more. But if you do have the fight, if you win, then you're going to go back to, oh, maybe just one more fight. And if you lose, you're like, oh God, now, now I got to go back anyways, because now I got to reclaim the, it's, it's a really hard thing. And uh, you can see it in, for example, Conor McGregor, who was on the top of this world, top of the fighting world. And then he was, uh, at, when he was at the top, he's like, you know what? I'm going to branch out. I'm going to go into boxing a little bit. And they set up this massive fight. Uh, he lost, but he did a, a decent job. And he got a ton of money. May, uh, Mary Mayweather? May, yeah, Mary? Mayweather. Floyd. And then he's like, all right, I got a ton of money. So you're like, okay, cool. Retire. He's got his, he's got a little uh, a whiskey, Irish whiskey and all these things. Retire. But no, man, he had to come back. He had to come back. And then he came back and it was hard for him. He got beat. Then he won. Then he got beat. Ah, oh, man, I see it all the time. It has to be hard. You're at the top of your game. You're loving it. You're getting the adoration of the fans. You feel like a superhuman. You're like, I can punch my way to victory. And then you can't go doing that at work in the, or in the streets or whatever. Like, that's not the world you live in. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it applies to a lot of different uh, sorts of people, athletes, and also just famous people who are no longer as famous. They oh, yeah. were in a band and, and they, they were touring all the huge arena rock venues and then it starts to slow down and now they're playing smaller venues and then smaller venues and smaller venues. And how do you deal with that? How do you emotionally cope with that? There's a loss there. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a come. And, and I also think I can kind of relate as I get older, my body is definitely not working the way it used to. And uh, I, I am envious of my 25 year old body <laughs> of just <laughs> how resilient it was and how much energy it had and how, oh, how well it slept at night. <laughs> I know. And, and, and it was that, that kind of thing where you basically, I mean, it, it wasn't true. But you definitely felt invincible. Like you were like, I, I could do anything. I yeah, because I could. I'm gonna, because yeah, I'm gonna stay I, up I all could. night. I'm gonna drink whatever. I'm gonna do whatever. <laughs> yeah, we and we did, and nothing we happened. And nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing bad happened. And uh, I remember hearing other people, and particularly older people, saying like, they would talk to me like, oh, to be young again. I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, ah, I'm sure I'll be fine, you know. And then of course, all your mind, yeah, and. As we get older or as we become no longer MMA fighters, there's this, there's a loss. And if we, and there's, there's, it's only sadness or it's, it's a lot of sadness. It's a lot of disappointment. It's a little bit of demoralization, a little bit of spare, but what do we do additionally? And I think that people like Conor McGregor and others, if they had some other purpose in their life, they wouldn't have to do these things that they know aren't going to work for them. So for me, for example, uh, 
as my body stops working the way I want it to, it's a bummer and there's, um, there's no silver lining to that really. But what is the purpose of my life? Is it right. to have a 25-year-old body that is as resilient as before, that to have all the energy I had before? Or do I have something else that gives me meaning and purpose and pleasure in my life that doesn't depend on that? And so I think we need, and, I, and I, a lot of athletes who are, and that's one of the downsides of being a very good athlete or really good at anything early in life is that it eclipses any other activity. Cause it's like, if I am yeah. a kick-ass MMA fighter, why am I going to spend time like crocheting <laughs> or uh, learning how to uh, find hiking as a hobby or something like I am so good and everyone knows me as this one thing. Right. Right why would I do anything else It I always feel substandard, you know, on this other thing. And then when it starts to dry up, what else do you have? And um, so I think that it's just important for everyone to, to be realistic about that and to plan for that. Like you saw that with Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. He was like, all right. Okay. The first retirement does almost doesn't count. Cause it was almost like out of protest, you know, but, but still it's like, I believe that he was like, okay, I think I'm done. I'll go try something else. It didn't work, right? He comes back and then he's still great. Okay, awesome. But then he's like, okay, now I'm done. This is, but he's still like, oh man, yeah, I miss it. I got to come back. Yeah. And then he went back and then he yeah, was fine. Yeah, and it's but- fine. You know, on one level you're like, uh, for me, I'm thinking, because when I was younger, I was like, oh, why don't they just retire and just go out on top? <laughs> but then you think, but you know, they love this stuff that, They'll yeah. take uh, a substandard team or record and they'll get frustrated, but, but they love it. Uh, yeah. It's like my dad, for example, he, he still golfs. He's been golfing since he was a teenager. He like multiple times a week. Like wow. I would venture to say on average, he probably golfs a hundred times a, a year <laughs> or he's 70. What? 77 this year so what is that like 60 years ish <laughs> so we're talking like uh you know something like six thousand plus times golfing and and he's not as good as he used to be he's not yeah. as limber he said both hips replaced and wow. but he loves it right uh he he doesn't it, what else is he gonna do you know it, just because he's not playing as well and so yeah. The Michael Jordans of the world and others is just like it. It's it sucks for the fans because we don't like to see our hero failing, but for them they're like, "But I love it, yeah, <laughs> and I'll take it over sitting at home and watching basketball." I'd ra- I want to be out. I'd rather be out there and failing than sitting at home and watching it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, last email here, Birdo for Lisa from Paris says. I recently came out of a six-year relationship with a narcissist. I am going to therapy for that because I deserve it. Smiley face. Nobody seems to understand what I went through, though. I've been thinking about contacting my ex's ex to have a chat woman to woman because she would understand what I went through since no one else understands what I went through. Is that a foolish idea to reach out to my ex's ex? I'd love to hear what you think about it. Berto, what do you think? 
Interesting. So the X is X to like commiserate, I guess. Yeah. 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 Because okay, of course I mean, I, your X is X would have similar complaints about, yeah. you know, your X. Yeah. I've uh, seen that and I guess I've done that too. Meaning I have, uh, I have folks that I know who had, who both were married to the same person and both are no longer married to the same person. And um, they, you know, I, I've seen, I saw them commiserate over the same issues. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was interesting. You know, it's like, it how often did they commiserate? Together. What? How often did they commiserate? Um, well, I mean, they had a few, like there were a couple of times where I, I specifically was with them and, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, this is, I see this is some catharsis for both sides. <laughs> and I, I actually did that in a small way. I, I had a person that I dated that then I knew someone that dated them. And I remember commiserating a bit, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't a major thing. Like I was married to this person for 10 years and then, you know, um, I could see the appeal at the same time. So I could see it to a certain extent, like, you know, a little bit of validation, like, okay, so maybe it's not just me, maybe. Um, but I could also see it going, uh, going the wrong way, potentially. Like you certainly, yeah, you know, you don't want to obsess over it. Like I've done this not with relationships, but um, I've done it, for example, with situations that were bad. And then I find that the, you know, I, I've done this where there's someone that me, we both went through the same bad situation, for example, at work. And then later I realized every time I see them, that's all we ever talk about, about how bad that was. And so great. It's like a bonding thing. But at the same time, it's like, really? Like now we're stuck in that and we're stuck reliving that bad situation. So I could see it becoming um, a, cr- a crutch. A, a bad situation careful. involving spandex? Hey, involving whatever it is. Meaning... Like, for example, if you, <laughs> yes, that would, that would be the key. No, no. But I mean, like if you had a, a situation with your ex and that is something that, you know, you didn't like, and then you have someone that was their ex and now, now you're, that's all you ever talk with them about. Um, I could see that becoming sort of like, a, I don't know, like a very superficial outlet. And at first I think it could be useful, but over time I, um, and I guess what I'm relating to is that there are there are things that I've noticed that I shared an experience with someone a long time ago. And then I don't really have much more with that person. So every time I interact with them, that's the only thing we can go back to. And that thing was bad. And so then it's like, uh, it's sort of like a reminder of something bad. Yeah. It's interesting. You're bringing all this up. Uh, And I, I don't think I was making this connection is that on one hand, if, if you go through a bad situation like, let's just take it to an extreme. Like me and my wife are walking downtown and some, like this one time we were, uh, we went to a parade, I think, and we were walking through the heart of downtown and this tow truck uh, out of nowhere, we were walking across a crosswalk. We had the right of way and this tow truck took a left and I'm not joking at all. Nearly killed the two of us was, 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 was moving very fast and was inches away from our face and and it was and it was a huge tow truck you know and <sighs> and 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 I, I it was so bad that i actually we actually chased him down my wife was really angry 
and we called his superiors. I mean, it was, you know, we, we had to chase him like a few blocks down the, and got the number and the license plate. And, you know, it was that bad. I mean, for, for me Yikes. to physically run and be like, that person needs to know that that was wrong, you know? And me and my wife talked about it for, you know, occasionally all the time. We, we had this bad experience and we both commiserated and we validated each other and, and we had to process it together. Yeah. And if I process it with someone else, I'd get a little bit of validation, but not as much as for my wife. I mean, we would just be, right. you know, a gas. Like, and every, every few years, we're just like, remember that one tow truck? And we're just, oh, my <laughs> God. So on one level, contacting, contacting your ex's ex is like that, right? You're, you're like, man, when he did this and that, like you, you want someone that knows what that's like, it's extremely therapeutic and validating. On the other hand, I, I think... I don't think it really applies to this context, but when you're at work and you triangulate with someone else about your boss, Mm -hmm. uh, then it creates potentially this culture of negativity towards your boss that can actually lead to you having a negative view of your boss that is greater than it would have been otherwise. Yes. Yes. In fact, so that's one of the things is I, a long time ago, uh, I had a, a friend, a couple friends from work, and we would always like go into each other's office, close the door, and just start bitching and moaning about whatever situation, you know. And it's like, uh, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. And did you hear what such and such did and stuff like that? Now I look back on that and I'm like, how are we complaining about? Right. Like that was nothing. Yeah. That was nothing. But it was creating this constant reinforcement of negativity. Right. Now, I, I, you and I have shared um, band experiences where we had some yeah. less than ideal situations with bandmates. Yeah. Imagine if every time you and I got together, that's all we ever talked about, how yeah. bad that was. That's what I'm saying is like, it could get to be too much. It could get right. to be sort of um, negative. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and cause problems for you because yeah. you're, you're, accentuating the negative in a way that is damaging to your life. Um, The other thing, the last thing I'll say, Lisa from Paris is it could be invasive to, to call an ex's ex, the exes, you know, this woman could be like, why are you calling me? (laughs) Um, It also could create drama in that if your ex finds out that you're triangulating in this way, it could raise suspicion of like, you're trying to invade his life and then he tries to attack you and defend himself. Yeah. You know, it, there's some danger there that you just want to be careful about. All right, Bert, a final word on our episode about divorce and all the other things. I learned some valuable statistics today. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, A, if you're going to get married, maybe wait a little bit. <laughs> wait a little bit. Um, B, uh, let's all not focus so much on the negative. If you're going to have meaningful experiences with others, maybe may, try to make them positive, memorable experiences. And then lastly, uh, I want to go on a vacation soon. Do you want to go on a vacation with me? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be nice taking a vacation, going off to Tahiti or something? Yeah. Making some beautiful memories. Dude, when we get all vaccinated. That's all I'm going to do. Let's do it. Okay. And everyone out there, get vaccinated and please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 